0: Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor, and this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana, over the past week, and we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers, as well as answer any questions that students have Posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. First question we have tonight is a question Which of the following should not be an intervention section in the A Dime format? No, right? So with this, we're already trying to think about what do we know about A Dime we have. Our assessment, diagnosis, intervention, and then monitoring and evaluating. And with ADIM, I always think the easiest way to kind of think about it is to always think about an example. So me working primarily in oncology, I think, okay, the assessment is when I'm doing my medical record review. I'm doing all my calculations. I'm chatting with the patient. I'm, you know, doing their calorie protein calculations. I'm doing all my investigation in a dime and also here looking at the comparative standards. So I'm saying, is my patient underway? Is, are they getting enough? So you're thinking, A, my assessment is my investigation. Now, D is the diagnosis. And when we're here, we are really just putting everything on a silver platter. I did all of the hard work in assessment, right? So, like, if my patients tell me, yeah, I haven't been eating, I've been losing some weight, in my assessment, I've already said, ooh, they've had this percent weight loss, and ooh, they're not meeting their calorie and protein needs. So, when I get to diagnosis, I already am able to know all of this. So, that way, I can just kind of put everything on a silver platter and say, okay, inadequate intake related to poor appetite, as evidenced by, you know, patient diet recall or 10% weight loss in six months, whatever it may be. So that's the only thing going on in my diagnose, my di- diagnosis section. And then my intervention section, which is the question, the section that this question is asking us about, is what am I going to do about it, right? Am I going to prescribe an n Am I going to prescribe a high calorie, high protein diet? Am I going to Tell them, you know, they need to take this supplement or this tube feed. What is it going to be? That's my intervention. I'm like prescribing things. And then my monitoring and evaluation, these are typically linked together. And what we're thinking here is these are things I'm watching. So like calorie counts, labs, weights. I'm just saying, let's monitor these. So the question is saying, which of the following would not be in the intervention? And I would say probably 80% of my students, when there's not questions, they're missing it from the reading. So I know when I was studying for the exam, I'd put a little star, I'd put a little checkbox next to the knot to make sure I'm not accidentally clicking them. Another technique you can use too is to kind of just automatically cross out which ones you would do. So physician ordered diet order. So in my intervention, would I say what diet order I want? absolutely right, high calorie, high protein, low fiber, high fiber. So I'm crossing that one out. Then we're thinking, okay, my nutrition prescription is here too. So when I'm thinking my nutrition prescription, again, I'm kind of thinking, okay, high, you know, exactly what I just said before, high calorie, high protein. So I'm like, okay, let me put that, let me put that there. Then we have etiology-based recommendations. Okay. So linking back to that PS statement. So, you know, we want our intervention to be based on what I was saying is an adequate intake. What am I going to do about it? And then we have specific plans for nutrition care. What am I doing? So on first pass here, and a lot of people in the comments were like, oh, it must be C because isn't C etiology? Isn't that diagnosis? And if it just said etiology of disease, absolutely. But it's saying etiology-based definitions. And when we're thinking about PS, we're thinking, problem, what am I going to do about it? Etiology, what's causing the problem? And then my signs and symptoms, which are like my proof. So this isn't saying the etiology of the disease. It's saying I'm making recommendations based on what, you know, I said the problem was. So on that first pass, we're like, okay, darn, you know, now we have to kind of go through because we said, oh, you know, on first pass, these all kind of are things I'm doing my intervention of, but we also have to remember what our role is, right? We're the dietitians here, so when I go through and I'm saying, okay, well, one of them was the physician ordered, um, the physician ordered diet, and right, I might be making my own recommendations that might match or they might counter that physician diet. So of the options, the best thing to kind of take out and say this wouldn't be in here is the physician ordered because as the dietitian, I'm writing my own order. And it might also say high calorie, high protein, but it might say something else. So the fact that A is what the physician ordered, what someone else has been doing, that would be found in assessment, right? When I'm going over the medical record and I'm like, why are they on a clear liquid diet? Now, if it just said diet order for me, right? Perfect. That would be in my intervention. But the fact that it's the diet order that's currently prescribed, that would be in our assessment. So definitely when you're kind of going through on that first pass, you're like, okay, everything's looking like it would work in intervention. So don't be afraid to kind of loop back. Now this next one, we have another tricky one. Which of the following, again, is not star, checkbox, everything there, true about order writing privileges for dietitians so you want to think about what is an order writing privilege for dietitians so if you work at a hospital where dietitians don't have order writing that means I can make every single recommendation under the sun but I can't put any orders in and orders could be everything from ranging to putting in an ensure order to changing the diet order to like for me I can write tpn and tube feed orders So it's a very big range in state-to-state dietitian um, writing privileges, and also hospital-to-hospital, honestly, are different. You know, at some hospitals that you guys might work at, you can't write the TPN order, or you might not even be able to do the end, sure. Um, And always something good on your interviews to ask if the dietitians have writing um, order writing privileges, because there's nothing more annoying than when you can't do that, so just a tidbit when you're interviewing say what do the dietitians have order writing privileges and if they're like oh you're gonna have to call the doctor every time you want to insure keep that in the back of your mind because that's gonna make your day annoying okay back to the question so we thought about okay what are order writing privileges what do they look like so now we're gonna kind of go down and be saying okay well what is not true so here we have They do not take the place of communicating diet orders to the team. So we're trying to think, okay, is this true or not, right? So this one is definitely true, right? I should still be communicating and saying, hey, the tube fees, I'm going to change them, loop people in, nurse, doctors, all those people. So A, I'm taking them. B, they are not legal in every state. So again... Unfortunately, this will be true. We're going to cross it out. Some states, you do not have a lot of order writing p- privileges at all, if any. Then, C, they include only the diet prescription. Well, you guys know from this discussion, that is false, right? So for me, I can order an Ensure, I can order a diet order, I can order TPN, I can order tube feeds. I can also order vitamin and mineral repletion as well. So this one right away, I'm like, hmm, I'm suspicious of this one because I know I can order TPN. And if the order writing privileges were only for diet orders, how do I do my job? Now, D is saying they require the, re- the review of the dietitian's credentials. That's definitely true, right? So like I have my CNSC, so I can write orders where you know a dietitian without might not be able to write them for TPN. So in this one, our answer is going to say, well, what is not true of the order of writing privileges for dietitians?" We're saying it is not true that they only include the diet prescription, right? We said it could be a lot more. And that's why it's helpful, too, to kind of bring up these tough questions you guys are stuck on to the Facebook page because it's helpful to be like, okay, well, beyond just being like, okay, what's the answer? You want to think, what do I know about the order writing privileges? Because there's a lot of stuff on this exam that you're like, well, what page of Inman was that on? It's like, no, a lot of this stuff is kind of just you are supposed to learn from your dietetic internship too. So next question we have, which statement best describes the A component of the PD, SA cycle, performance improvement model? So again, I'm going to pause and say, well, what is that, right? So it's my plan, do, study, act here. And so what I'm thinking here is if I put an example on this, right? So I first I, you know, kind of pick my problem and make a plan. So maybe I'm noticing that there's not most patients who are malnourished are not getting a dietitian referral. So I'm gonna say, okay, well, I'm gonna try to a new policy where the nurse does the MST screening for every new chemotherapy patient. So That's my plan. In doing it, I implement that. I have every nurse do the MST. And if it's greater than two, they consult me. I do that for, let's say, a week. Well, that would be short. Let's say I do it for a month. Then I'm studying. Well, did that, did it allow me to catch more people? What was going on with that? What did it do? And let's say I'm like, wow, this actually allowed me to get more people, more referrals. My act would be me implementing that, actually doing that. So let's look at our options. So we have A, determine how changes will be made. Well, that's more of my planning, right? Of like, what am I going to do that there's not a lot of dietitian referrals for the clinic? Then we have B, implement the intervention. Well, that was me saying that we're going to do MST scores. And that's what I did in my do, right? I said, everyone screen the patients with MST scores. C, determine the impact of our, um, the impact of the intervention um, too. So what we're saying here is that's going to be more of our our study, right? And then D, we have maintain and continue the improvement. This would be more of our act that we're thinking because it's like, well, what are we doing? Are we keeping it? Are we changing it? So again, with a lot of these different things, putting an example on it can be helpful. Next question we have, Is a question where a student's saying, why would the answer be C? So let's look at it. What type of oven is best for making large quantities of bread? So options are, and we can throw some of these out right away, microwave, no. Tilting skillet, no. So then it's, well, should I use convection oven or rotary oven? So if, let's say rotary, and rotary is the answer, but let's say rotary was out. Can I make bread in a convection oven? Absolutely. This is great because we know with convection, there's a fan, it's moving the air around. It allows it to be cooked very evenly. But with a rotary, the bonus here is if you're kind of thinking, think about bread in like your regular oven, right? If there's a fan, but the bread's not moving, so you're still getting kind of more, you know, know, more even, but it's not necessarily going to cook evenly on each side. Versus a rotary is the bread is kind of moving. Like your bread is almost like your convection. So it's getting very, very even heat. If you've ever worked, right, think back to your food service rotation. Think of how like when they make pastries, they put it on those racks in those big ovens. So it's super, super even heating. So it's not wrong that convection oven would be a great option, but convection over rotary, rotary is going to be better. And remember with the kitchen topics, look up pictures of them. If you take my Kitchen Topics class that I have on my website, you're going to see it's all pictures. Because if you can't picture what the equipment looks like in your mind, it's it's going to be hard. So that's a really, really great question. And remember with the exam, we're always going for the best answer. So you want to think about it less of could I do it in the convection, which is yeah. But if I have two options, which one would be the best product? Too. And you see that in clinical questions too. Of, could I not do both. Like I was going over a question with one on, my one on my one-on-one students today, and it was talking about a patient had an esophageal resection. And the options were, um, you know, like solid diet TPN, which we knew weren't correct. But then she's like, I'm just stuck because there's two options here. There's liquid diet, and then there's also tube feeds. And she's like, both could work. But what you want to be thinking about too is, okay, well, which one would be the best that's kind of guaranteed to work, right? So the tube feeds would be really the best because we know those are going to be guaranteed to work because the concern is if you've just got an esophageal resection, could you probably take a liquid diet? Yes. Are you going to want to? No, because we're thinking about that anatomy change. So always think of you know, what's the 100% best option, you know? So here it was enteral versus liquid. And that question before was convection versus rotary. Next question we have is a six foot two male, large frame, 230 pounds with type two diabetes should do what? So we have gain five pounds to be your desirable body weight. And while you might want to throw this one out right away, One thing I would do is it's not a bad idea to double check because he's tall, he's large frame, right? So you want to be thinking, okay, well, let me just double check what would be the ideal body weight for 6'2". So we're using our Hamley equation here for a male. So it's 106 for the first five feet and then six pounds for every inch over five feet. Now with top people over six feet, Everyone makes mistakes here because we, a lot of the time, are like, oh, okay, well, they're only, you know, 12 inches over five because it's six, two. But remember, five, right from five to six feet is 12 inches, then two inches over six feet. So it's really 14 extra inches over that five feet. So I do 106 plus six times 14 because every pound, um, every inch over, Five feet is going to be six pounds. So that gives me 190. So I already can say, absolutely not. We do not need to have him gain five pounds. So cross that way. Next, we have B, lose 20 pounds slowly on a balanced diet. Now, that sounds fabulous to me, right? Gradually lose it in a sustainable way. We don't need it to be quick. And eating food. Then next one C, we have lose 20 pounds in four weeks on an 800 calorie diet. Absolutely not, right? He's gonna gain it right back if he's restricting, restricting, restricting. this is way too low calorie is the concern. Then we have D lose 10 pounds slowly by following a balanced sign. You're like, wow, that one looks that one looks great too. So the question is really, well, should I lose? 20 pounds, or should I, or should I lose 10 pounds? And so that's where him having diabetes comes into play. So we know if patients with diabetes lose between 5 and 10 percent, we can see improvements in their A1C. So the next thing I'd be doing is saying, okay, if I lose 20 pounds and I'm 230, that is going to be 8. 0.6 or 9 if you want to round percent of my body weight that falls right in with range with losing five to ten percent okay what about if I lose 10 pounds so 10 divided by 230 well that's only going to be 4.3 we can't even round up to five so the 20 pounds slowly is going to be the best option because it's going to be kind of falling within that range of that five to ten and we don't want them to be on a crash diet. So a really great one to understand of why is it 20 and not 10? Well, it's because of that guideline, that recommendation. Next question, we had another and I love you guys asking, like, why is it this answer? Because that's how you learn. That's the best way to use the practice questions. Because every single practice question that you do should be an opportunity to learn. And if you're just going, I got it wrong, okay, it's C and moving on, you're not learning. So don't be afraid to ask why. That's what you guys should be saying on every question. Why is it that? So we have, what is the best way to prevent clogging of the tube feed when administering a liquid enteral formula, including dietary fiber? So anytime with our tube feeds, we're always worried about the clogging because a clogging is a key reason why people are going to have issues, you'll have to get it replaced. And a lot of the time, too, and if you're on the Facebook Live, showing you my NG tube that I keep at my desk, um, but they're small, you know, like being like an 8 to 12 franc is really like a quarter of an inch wide. So if you imagine a quarter of an inch, that's kind of the diameter of the tube feed. And what I always like to kind of tell my patients, too, is I'm like, think about like when you have a smoothie, right? You sip it up, then... It's all caked on the inside. That's your feeding tube. So you need to do flushes not only for hydration, but also to clean out the tube. So let's see our options. We have flush the feeding tube with 30 milliliters of air. Absolutely not. That's just going to dry it out. So cross that one out. We have B, pull back on the feeding tube five centimeters before administering the fiber containing formula to prevent a gel from forming between the tube feed tip, and GI mucosa. And this one's tough because sometimes it's like, oh, that, that sounds kind of legit. It's not, right? Um, then we have C, flush the feeding tube with 120 to 240 milliliters of water, TID with 30 milliliters of water before administering any medications via the feeding tube. So this one is going to be the best answer. Because it's not an excessive amount of water. We also want to be providing hydration. And it's telling you give it three times a day, but then also before and after each medication too. So this one is kind of just saying a standard recommendation. It might not be the perfect for each patient. But that, giving it three times a day and then minimum, I would probably do it a little bit more. But And then also flushing with water, with the medications, that's going to help prevent it from cleaning. So we had some really, really great examples tonight of making sure you're kind of walking through the questions carefully. And especially if you're stuck at 22, 23, 24, making sure you're understanding these things can make a really, really big difference, which is why taking advantage of the situational Classes is really, really helpful whether you want to do the recorded or also come to one of the Wednesday classes when we're doing the situational. But you want to make sure that you're going and thinking about the why. Why is this correct? Why is that one not correct? And that's going to be a great exercise to make sure you're really getting your bang for your buck with your practice questions and not just running through them. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, DanaJFNutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes, as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.